Meandering Through the Madness 9, Five Steps to Lasting Love by Anne Marie Taylor. Kyla and I were excited to interview the author of A Great New Relationship Resource, which we both think is so groundbreaking and yet so simple to start using right away. I want everyone I know to get this book. That's how good I think it is. Uh, it, could, it could change lives. Let me read you the description off of Amazon. Discover the surprising, underlying reasons for most relationship breakdown and what you can do to protect yours, including the three small, everyday acts that can make all the difference. Are you in a long-term relationship and struggling to make it work? Feeling worn down by life and exhausted by conflict? Do you yearn for more love, joy, and passion in your life? To come home to friendship and laughter? There are hundreds of relationship books out there and many are very wordy with a mix of random tips or complicated exercises to work on as a couple. But what if your partner is too busy or doesn't want to do them? And what if you were too busy yourself? Who has the time for this stuff? What then? I'm here to tell you that busy people can have great relationships and fulfilling sex lives too. And now, on to the interview. So we both read your book. Yes. Brilliant. Wow. Thank you for writing it. It was really well done. Thank you very much. It's great to hear that. It's uh, and immediately usable mm-hmm. as well. Great. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I really That's loved, what it's intended to be. I loved how yeah. you condensed it at the end of the chapters, the reference points. I really, I loved that. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be invited. We're happy to have you. Yes, thank you very much for coming on. I was, I, this was probably, I, I was up super early this morning. This has been my most exciting interview to date. Wow, great. <laughs> I've been divorced twice, so. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, could you relate to some of the things that I was saying in the book? Absolutely. A- right. Absolutely. And hindsight's twenty twenty, um, well, but I mean, yeah, of course, hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what I'm finding with work work with clients is that um, I mean, this is what I'm talking about in the book is the research that I'm using with clients and the methods that I'm using with them, and I'm finding that the vast majority of people can really relate to this. Mm-hmm. and uh, really relate to it and feel like there's sort of lights flashing all over the place um, in terms of recognizing what I'm talking about in their own situation. Little aha moments. And that, that's really what the book was full of was, oh, oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose um, another thing that I'm finding is uh, people saying to me, this research that you're talking about sounds great and is really interesting, but how come I've never heard of this stuff before? And I think the, the thing is the research is out there, mm-hmm. but there's so much of it because they've done 40 years of research. And I think some of the focus has been on 
um, parts of the research that's really interesting, but isn't necessarily the most helpful stuff for people. That's what I thought too, is that uh, what you're talking about in your book is, is easily usable instantly. And yes. it's not just, it's not just uh, fluff. Theoretical. <laughs> Maybe before yes. we get any farther, you should, could you introduce yourself and your work? Yeah, my name is Anne-Marie Taylor. I'm a human-given psychotherapist and I specialize in relationships. Um, I'm based in Ireland, in County Wicklow, mm -hmm. um, which is in Europe. Beautiful. Um, I don't know if you want me to say any more about myself. No, that's great. I think as far as our, our listeners are concerned, you're, you're available to them worldwide at this point because your book's right. going to be available. So that, that's one of the great yes. things about you writing a book is that we don't have to go to Ireland to, and get an appointment to, to learn from you, yes. but to start, yeah. to start this process. So that's, that's amazing. I yes, to... and that's, that's very much why I wanted to write the book, because I was finding that the information in it um, is based on research, but that... Um, the research, really, the most useful points that don't seem to me to be out there in a way that's easily accessible for people who need it most. Um, and that's what I hope to address in my book. So just a brief overview of what I thought right off, as soon as I started reading the book, I was struck by some of the things that I, that I have learned to do already, but don't always do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things that I could do a little more of basically, right? Yes. Things that I know, yes. like I know inside of myself, but at the same time, there's that small petty part of yourself that, that wants to be a little selfish and wants to, you know, it feels like you shouldn't be, ha have to be the person that always has to do things. You know what I mean? That, and that person yes. is look, just looking from your own point of view <laughs> yes. and not seeing the bigger yes. picture, I guess. It, does that make yes. sense? Is that yeah, it is. And I think one of the things I touch on in the book is that when we're um, distressed, when we're going through any sort of emotional difficulty, which often people who are having difficulties in their relationship are stressed, and any sort of um, stress or anxiety um, basically affects our brain and has the tendency to lock us in our emotions and stop us seeing the big picture and mm -hmm. stop us seeing, being able to use the parts of the brain that are most useful to us to help us to find solutions and see the way forward and see the things that are going well as well as the things that are going badly. You reference um, breath work and meditation and some yoga in the book as well which i thought was beautiful for people to find that space of center like you go into great detail of explaining what center looks like by relaxing your jaw releasing your forehead um do you find that helps people in your practice oh yeah very much so and the reason that is um sort of using relaxation and um sometimes breathing exercises simple breathing exercises is um, very much a part of the therapy. And the reason for that is that, um, is that, that I just mentioned there, that when people are distressed in any way, um, they may look flat, for instance, people with depression look flat, but mm -hmm. we know from looking at the saliva that they um, have high levels of cortisol, a stress hormone, 
So people who are distressed emotionally um, are actually very stressed, even though they might not appear to be. And what that stress does at the level of the brain is it locks you in your emotions and it stops you being able to see the solutions and being able to see the big picture and being able to see the way forward. So we very much use relaxation in this therapy in order to help people to access their, the higher parts of the brain that can help them. And also to be able to see the big picture, to be able to access their resources, their strengths, their skills, and use them to help themselves um, see the way forward. This has no choice but to change their life in many ways, I imagine. It must snowball. Uh, um, yeah, that's what I find. Um, I find that um, there was a very famous um, therapist, uh, psychiatrist called Milton Erickson, who was mm-hmm. having huge success with therapy a long time ago um, when nobody else was really. And one of the things that he said was that you you sort of pull on any thread that's available to you mm-hmm. and it starts the whole process unraveling. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and um, that's how it feels like to me. You cut any knot that's available to you and um, it starts the whole process of unraveling. And yeah, so very often with bad things that happen to people, people can spiral downwards. But the good thing is um, often when, when things start to go right, one little thing going right can also lead to another little thing going right that leads to another little thing going right. So you get a spiral upwards as well. If you can focus your attention there, because the book also was very beautiful in describing to focus on the solutions. To Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the importance of that, that very often what happens, unfortunately, when people have relationship problems um, or any sort of emotional health problem is that there's a focus on the problem. And I touch on my book in how sometimes that can make the problem worse. Um, and that's what is really helpful is a focus on solutions. <laughs> this sounds like something a little bit off topic in a way, but if you if you apply that to things besides personal relationships and you move into um, business or or environmental issues, we have yes. the same things going on right now. Everybody's focusing yes. on the problem and then one person attacks another person mm-hmm. and then that yes. person gets defensive and then before you know it, that person shuts their whole brain off about that issue. So yes. it, it really does Thank affect more right. than just the uh, than just at the personal level. Yeah, I think you're very right. You're right. The focus on solutions can um, make people more open because otherwise it's overwhelming, isn't it, for people, some of the issues that um, that we're facing at the moment. So focus on solutions and um, seeing that there are things that we can do and that the individual can do and the groups can do um, can help people participate and become involved I suppose and be open to things so in uh in your book you talk about the three behaviors that heal yes yeah well um what my book is looking at really is some of John Gottman's research which people may or may not be aware of but for about 40 years since the 1970s John Gottman uh 
an American psychologist, has been doing high quality research. She now has a huge team of people and a whole institute called the Gottman Institute in Washington. Mm -hmm. And um, what they've been doing is trying to understand what makes relationship work, relationships work and what makes relationships break down. And um, they've uncovered a whole huge amount of information. But some of the things that they found are one of the central things that they found that I focus on in my book is that most relationship breakdown starts with tiny, tiny little things going wrong. Um, and I call these things the three behaviors that heal. So the first behavior that heal that heals, um, I describe as attention, but particularly listening um, and listening to your partner talk about whatever they want to talk about for in small bursts, not necessarily for um, half an hour or an hour, um, but allowing opportunities regularly ideally at least five or ten minutes a day for your partner to talk about whatever they want to talk about and not necessarily problems also um, things that they're excited about things they're interested in and what they found was that in every relationship there are the conversations tend to be about trivial things and it looks as if nothing is really happening. So they found that people would talk about the radiators or the dog or the um, which school the children go to or the problem with the neighbor or what they're having for dinner or what they saw on telly last night. So a lot of what looked like very trivial conversations. And yet they found that the pattern that those conversations took was hugely important and predicted whether the relationship would thrive in the long term or whether it would break down. Hmm. So those those little conversations were as crucial as that. Shall I shall I explain a bit more about this? Yeah, sure. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So what they found was um, they. They looked for patterns in these relations, in these little conversations to try and understand what was going on. And they found that one person would try and connect with the other. And they would call that a bid for connection. So a bid for connection might be, would you like a cup of tea? Or might be, what are we having for dinner tonight? So it could be anything. Um, did I tell you your mother phoned? It could be anything. It's, it could be a touch or a smile, but it's... Uh, an attempt to connect with the other person. So they called it a bid for connection. And they found that the person on the receiving end of that bid could reply in one of, respond in one of three ways. So the first way would be, so say the question was, would you like a cup of tea? Um, the first way would be, no, thank you. So although they said, no, thank you, they connected, they uh, responded appropriately the question so that would be counted as a positive so all that turning towards and that was any sort of positive connection um successful connection the next way of responding would be so again the same question would you like a cup of tea and the response might be nothing at all the person might be on the phone they might be on the computer they might be watching the telly 
Um, so there would be no response at all. Um, another form of that, they would call that turning away. Another form of that would be, would you like a cup of tea? Did I tell you your sister rang? So <laughs> like a complete mismatch of communication. And so that would be turning away, they called that. Um, they, they called this form of response turning against. Mm. So uh, a response where the person is saying something along the lines of, you think that'll be all right, do you? Or you know where you can stick that. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is negative and hostile and, mm-hmm. or critical. That was the thir- third type of response that people would give. And surprisingly to me at first, um, the form of response that was most damaging was actually turning away, which was where there was no connection at all, um, no appropriate connection at all, where the person didn't answer or where they answered with something entirely unrelated to what they'd been asked. And they found that was actually the most damaging form of response. I think everybody can probably relate uh, to either having had that done to them or um, being, being the person doing that behavior. Um, yes. It, it seems to be a learned, a learned thing as well, right? Like that's, that might be something that you witnessed your parents doing, or it, it's just hard to take personal responsibility for these little choices in a way. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing that, that doesn't help is that nobody knows that this stuff is important. And that's, that's why I decided to write this book because I found that these behave, that behavior there seems to underlie the most common pattern of relationship breakdown, which is where conflict gets worse and worse. And it seemed, um, it seems that that is ultimately caused, in most cases, by this pattern where there is a lot of turning against and turning away in daily interactions. And what that leads to is the partner on the receiving end of that withdrawing from the relationship and starting to withdraw into a space where they feel hurt, where they feel unloved, where they feel uncared for. And from that space, they then start looking at the partner in a very critical way and just seeing the things that their partner does wrong, the things that they don't do. And the partner may be completely oblivious to that they're actually doing anything wrong. Um, They may feel like they're doing a wonderful job. They may feel like I'm great with the kids. I'm um, earning lots of money. I'm providing us with a brilliant lifestyle. They might feel like I'm great with the house. I'm I'm, uh, really good at cooking and keeping the house clean. Um, I'm doing a great job as a partner. And yet if they're not getting these little, little daily behaviors right, um, the research clearly shows that it basically predicts relationship breakdown over time. In your, it leads in your, to a, sorry. Yeah, it leads to a cascade of negative behavior Snowball. and escalating conflict. <laughs> sorry. No, uh, I was curious if you've noticed in your practice technology, uh, with the rise of Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat with the phones, have you noticed that becoming a bigger issue between the couples that you service? Um, That is certainly a big issue at the moment. It's a huge issue. Um, Yeah, 
definitely. I hear time and time again, um, the phone, particularly the phones, I think, are mm. a problem, are, in, uh, are interfering with people giving enough attention to each other. And I suspect with people um, giving enough attention to their children as well. Mm-hmm. And um, this is definitely a huge thing. And one of the things that I often am um, recommending people to do is to look at their relationship with their phone and to think about maybe putting the phone away um, in the evening um, mm-hmm. and turning off notifications at certain points and having rules around when the phone is used and not used and things like that and looking at how they can bring more, um, yeah, create space in their lives to give each other more attention. And connection. Sorry? And connection. Yeah. Like genuine connection between each other instead of the phone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what it's about really. Um, But I suppose the building block of genuine connection is attention and also affection um those are the building blocks that that is based on genuine connection i love how the material takes a back seat in this that when we're breaking when you break it down so beautifully simple um simple in your book that it comes down to connection and attention it has nothing to do with what you have or what you're giving you know Yes, yeah, it seems very much to come down to particularly attention and affection. And um, so they found that the first pattern of relationship breakdown is conflict that gets worse and worse. So all relationships have conflict. Um, But in relationships that are working well, the conflict tends to fizzle out quite quickly Whereas when a relationship is in the process of breakdown, very often there's mounting conflict and rows get worse and worse. And um, that seems to be largely caused by not enough attention um, given to the partner, not enough listening, particularly listening um, to the partner, talk about whatever they want to talk about. And the second form of relationship conflict, of uh, relationship breakdown, the second most common pattern is where people drift apart, where they become strangers to each other. And they essentially found that what causes that pattern is people forgetting to be affectionate to each other. Little gestures of affection are what seems to um, keep emotional connection alive. And unfortunately, what happens in some relationships over time is that people get out of the habit of these small gestures of affection, these squeezes of the hand, kisses of the forehead, little hugs. Um, And these little things can mean the world to anybody's partner and um, are what keeps emotional connection alive. And if people get out of the habit over time of those things, what happens is they feel that they drift apart. They become strangers to each other because they lose emotional connection, if that makes sense. It does very much so. And it's the little things. So it's little, little, little things that seem to underlie a cascade of catastrophic, really, worsening 
of relations between people. But it starts off with little, little, little things. And I start the um, I start the book with a proverb. I don't know if you're familiar with it about the one about um, for want of a for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle. The kingdom was lost, and all for want of a horseshoe nail. And that's so beautiful. Uh, yeah, and it just feels to me that it encapsulates what they essentially found about relationships, which is that it's tiny, tiny, tiny things that um, get neglected and that cause cracks in the whole foundation of the relationship, essentially. So it starts with very, very little things going wrong. But the good news is what I found from my work with people is that if at least, if only one partner, even one partner understands this stuff and starts to focus on making these positive, um, these three behaviors that heal, focuses on them in themselves, on their part of the jigsaw, I always say we can only focus on ourselves and what we're doing. And um, I found that if somebody can do that and keep it up and it doesn't always go down well at first, particularly if the relationship is in a very toxic place, but if they can keep it up and um, keep doing these little behaviors that the research shows are all important, I found that people can turn around, even sometimes turn around relationships that are in a very, very bad place indeed. So for instance, I've had a whole series of men who I've been able to help who've come to me at five minutes to midnight when their partner was throwing them out, basically, when it was almost too late and came to me when the relationship was in very, very extreme state and um, asked me to help them and surprisingly because of the extreme state of those relationships I have very often been able to help people to turn it around by starting with focusing on these little things and bringing those back and focusing on solutions focusing on the things that they used to do that they used to enjoy doing together and bringing those back into their relationship. I love that. We live in a province in Canada where the divorce rate is 52%. Goodness me. Goodness me. Yes. Um, We, it's almost a society of bigger and better. um, And it's easier to move on and start new rather than to work through the relationship. And I, I I was going to ask you at the, at the beginning of this, um, there's this idealism that you make a list of your perfect partner and you, and you don't settle until you find this perfect partner that matches all these check marks on a list. And um, I'm not a psychotherapist, so I'm curious to ask, how do you feel about that statement? Do you see this trend growing as well? Or what do you see? Um, yeah, I certainly see... Um, 
yeah, that can leave people very unhappy because in reality, there aren't any perfect people out there. There aren't any perfect people. That's what I think. I come from this to this very much of the view that none of us is perfect and Mm -hmm. that I'm certainly not perfect. And I've never met a perfect person and I'm not sure that that even exists. (laughs) And everybody brings their faults and their baggage into a relationship and um what what the Gottman's found in their research is the you don't have to be a perfect person you don't have to be this super stable super together person um but you do have to find someone who fits with you and mm-hmm. um, who's a good match for you um but that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect or they're going to be a perfect match or they won't have their problems and their issues because all of us do. That's very much my view. Thank you very much. That's helpful stuff. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You also had another quote, pardon me. You had another quote in your book that I felt was just absolutely perfect. It was the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. And I've traveled a fair bit and that's been my motto while in Rome. And to look at the past in a similar way, um, really rang home for me. It was beautiful. So in a lot of couples, or at least I've seen in my own relationships, we fight about the same things, sometimes for decades. The same fight over and over and over, argument or whatever, and no one's hearing anyone, and you just keep reliving the past instead of moving forward. Yes. And, um, yes, so some of the things that I look at in the relationship is how you complain about something. And... Um, if there's something wrong and I also touch on the idea that when um, people have uh, reoccurring arguments uh, about the same thing that often well there's there's two things um, that uh, often underline that one thing is that we're all trying to get our needs met so very often it's that a need is not being met um, for one partner and that's that can be really what the issue is about. We're all trying to to get the things that we need. Um, and the other thing is that very often people have underlying dreams that are in conflict. So, um, for instance, one person's dream might be um, to raise their child in a very secular way um, without religion if they've had a bad experience of religion. And the partners might have had a very good experience of religion and and they might want the child to be raised in a very different way. John Gottman would call um, an unsolvable problem. That doesn't mean, so he says couples have solvable problems and they have unsolvable problems. But an unsolvable problem doesn't necessarily mean you need to split up. (laughs) But what it means is that um what can help is to have a good understanding of the other person's needs and values and that that this is a dream uh yeah an ideal that is in conflict um to some degree and that basically what you what you need to do is just to keep talking about it and 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 looking for ways as far as possible to um to respect each other's 
different needs and different values and different um, beliefs about things, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, so basically what he's saying is that some couples have issues that are essentially unsolvable um, and they just have to live with them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to split up. Um, Another thing that he says is that uh, whoever you uh, marry or live with or form a relationship with is going to be bringing some baggage to the table. And it's just not, um, you know... He's now done 40 years of research on thousands and thousands of couples at all stages of their relationship, married couples, heterosexual couples, newlyweds, people who've been together for 20 years, 30 years. They will have issues. They will have baggage. um, There will be areas of conflict. All relationships have these things. Um, So this idea that the perfect person is just around the corner... (laughs) is a fantasy really um what often happens when people have that fantasy is they keep finding they get into a pattern where they very often find themselves in a similar relationship and having the same arguments with a new partner yeah well i guess wherever you go there you are (laughs) yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's a very nice way of putting it i haven't heard that before it must just be the hormones people miss, like those first love hormones. Because that's an infatuating time in a relationship. The beginning stage. Because yeah. everybody's yes. smiling. You even said it in the book. Everybody's smiling and touching and on their best behavior and listening attentively. And, you know, and eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is that in those early, um, at the beginning of a relationship, a relationship that turns into a long-term relationship we all get on with each we all um have great relationships in the early days of a long-term relationship and it's because both people at the beginning are getting their essential needs met for attention and for affection um in the early days where you know we have positive expectations of the other person and of the relationship and we're giving them loads of attention we're giving mm-hmm. them loads of time we're listening to them we're affectionate to them and um so at the start of a relationship everyone can communicate really well because both people are getting those essential needs met and both are focused on the positives and it's over time that um yeah that unfortunately as we get busier with our lives and and um take on the realities of day-to-day life and the responsibilities of adult life um we start to neglect these little things that oil the wheels of the relationship oil the cogs of the relationship and keep everything flowing and keep both people feeling loved and supported and um cared for and and then what you get happening is uh well usually it starts with one person starting to feel neglected and unloved because they aren't getting essential needs met for attention or for affection or for both of those things and then what happens is that from that place of feeling unloved and uncared for the person starts to focus on 
the negatives in the other person on what the person is doing wrong on um on what they're not doing and they don't even see the things that the partner is doing right um and that's again due to the changes in the brain um they lose because of all the emotion of feeling unloved and uncared for um the brain basically loses um the, the higher parts of the brain shut down and the person can't see the big picture they can't see the the areas of gray they can't see the things that are right with the relationship so they focus on the things that are wrong with the relationship and then that starts to all those negative thoughts about the partner and the relationship start to spill out into the relationship in criticism and then of course the partner will respond to that with defensiveness and before you know you have a uh, growing hostility and growing negativity in the relationship and both people start to now have negative expectations of the partner negative expectations of the relationship and basically things start to escalate from there i loved in the book um how you described how men typically will withdraw if the um, if the situation becomes too intense and our people will get like a, a gl just glaze over and sit there internally. And then you related to it. This is what they call stonewalling. In, yes. There's lots of information floating around in the West here about narcissism and how stonewalling is a red flag to narcissism, which I found it fascinating that you would describe it like that. And it's just a human response to stress. Yes. So yes. some people, I think, tend to use it more as a way to place labels yes. instead of understanding that it is just a common human response to the stressful situation that they're in. That was yes. brilliant. Um, I, I hope um, everybody reads that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. I. So what they basically found was that there is a pattern. There are two different physiological responses to a difficult conversation. And they found that in heterosexual marriages, um, in 85% of heterosexual marriages, it was the husband who had this highly um, reactive stress response immediately at the start of a difficult conversation with their partner. The, basically what they found was that the man's heart rate would go through the roof and would rise to such a level that they were actually in danger of having a heart attack. Mm. And um, so in order to, to reduce the risk of having a heart attack, they had to find some way of leaving the conversation. So they would either walk out or they would stay in the conversation, but they would pretend not to be there and um, block out the conversation and and when they asked those um mainly men not always men but mainly men what was going on in their head during these conversations and during these periods when they were locked down and non-responsive to their partner they would say i was trying to calm myself down i was reminding myself that something was happening the conversation would have to end soon that um that we couldn't keep this up Forever, I was trying to leave the situation in my mind so that I could keep calm. Um, but the re the partner on the receiving end of this, who was most often a woman, 
would often misinterpret as being done intentionally or being immature. Um, so it was causing a lot of misunderstanding, you know, it is causing a lot of misunderstandings. And one of the points that I make in the book is that unfortunately, um, a common pattern at the moment that I see a lot of is um, when people look for help on the internet or with their relationship, very often what they find is advice that they should communicate more. And what they interpret this advice to mean is that they should communicate more about their issues, whatever those issues are. And because of this difference in physiological response, what this commonly leads to is a woman trying repeatedly to talk to her partner about difficulties in the relationship and the man having this physiological response where he's in great distress, physiological distress um, from the beginning of the conversation. And so I've, I've met men, for instance, who have said that they have had their wife regularly talking to them about problems for three hours at a time where while the man just sits there in silence in great discomfort and distress but to all intents and purposes looking like a wall mm -hmm. and um and not surprisingly what then happens is that that partner who's distressed then very often starts avoiding all contact with the partner so they start spending time in the shed spending more time in <laughs> office spending more time out with friends at the pub working late and of course because what's probably really going on is a lack of attention and affection so this is disastrous for the relationship and just really makes things much worse as you're speaking I'm like I've lived that <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure lots of people have um, to be honest, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's a very, very common thing because um, pretty much everybody I describe this to says, hang on a minute, <laughs> I've experienced this. I have so, to, uh, just to throw one more, uh, one more variable in there, uh, a few times when we were having troubles with one of our sons and we would be having a little family discussion between myself, my wife and that son. I know both of us, myself and my son, were very engaged at the beginning of the conversation, but it just, yes, it timed us out. And, and you're saying that that could be because it's a male problem, but it felt like after 20 minutes, we just could not be there anymore. It was just so almost unendurable to be still having this conversation 20 minutes later um, right. to the point where we were both checking right out. I could see it in his face. I was like, I got to get out of here, but I can't. Um, right. And nothing right. is making any impact after that point. That first 20 minutes was key. And then after that, it's just uh, going right over our heads because right. we just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just sitting yeah. here thinking about all the poor men that I've stressed right out. <laughs> They're sitting there on the verge of a heart attack and I'm still talking. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's a real shame in a way because I've certainly met people where it's clear to me that in the early days the relationship 
of a relationship problem the the relationship was probably savable and then what happened was this process of constant discussions about the problem constant focus on the problems leading to increasing distress in the relationship and I suppose what I'm advocating in my book is a focus on the solution a focus on the things that used to work and getting back to that um yeah it's brilliant advice well, I'm, I'm pretty excited about your book and, and I'm hoping that we can, well, that we'll be able to get it out there to quite a few people for you. I, I really hope that uh, everybody that I know in a relationship would read it, but. Um, yeah, you, well, yeah, I, swear? Mean, I, I feel that, I feel that this is knowledge that everybody should have. And that's why it felt very important to me to write this book, because I felt like everybody should know this stuff. This is fundamental stuff about relationships that we should all know they should all be teaching it in the schools and yet at the moment nobody seems to know it even the professionals who are working in this area <laughs> have sometimes heard some of them talking on the radio and it's clear to me that they don't know it either and I think it's just because there's so much research out there um, of differing quality and even the researchers of the best quality um like the Gottman's research there's so much of it that people can get lost in but aren't as useful as having a good understanding of the basics and of the process of relationship breakdown I learned a lot through this interview even as a mother because as we were talking about the connection time and, you know, there's been lots of times that one of my kids come into the office and I'm in like just right in my work and, you know, kind of shoo them, shoo them off a little bit. So to see that bid for connection. and Yeah. And, and I suppose we all do that at times, but the important thing is to recognize that children also in all our relationships, um, people have need for attention and in, for relationships and with children those things are absolutely crucial to them it's really about making sure that they have that time that time mm -hmm. and I really see this a lack of this as being one of the drivers of the increasing emotional stress in young people that seems to be a feature in the western world at the moment huge increases in emotional distress and I, I think actually we've been looking at the the wrong people. We've been looking at the effect of social media on children um having phones themselves. But I think what we should be looking at is the effect on the parents' interaction with the children of all this nonstop media. And um that yeah, the children need more attention and they need more affection um, than most of us are providing at the moment, very often. And it's a, it's a new thing. Even in, in my generation, so we didn't have the internet or social media and my children were both raised in a world with the internet. And so it's been a very short time. So I don't know if we've even seen the full effects of what this is going to offer them. No, I know. Yeah. So, um, so hopefully my book will be timely and um, it may make more people think about that and think about their relationship 
with their children and um yeah and i mean and it is very difficult for parents there are increasing demands on parents and on parents time and it can be very difficult to be you know um mm-hmm. giving positive attention and affection to children and to to make time for that with all the other demands that people have in their lives but I think you break it down in such a beautiful, simple way by offering that if you start with yourself first, seeing that percent that is positive in your romantic relationships, your children's relationships and yourself, that's, yes. that's a beautiful place to start. And I think it moves mountains in its own. Thank you. Yeah. And I I really hope that many people will read the book and will um, will put these things give these things more attention, give these things more focus in their life. Um, Because I think these things are the things that really matter. You're absolutely right. Tim and And I felt the same way. No, no, it's okay. Go on. Tim and I felt the same way about our book. It was more exciting to see people put it into practice than it was to sell them. It was more the feedback of, oh, we, you know, we're meditating, we're on day 57 and we're feeling great. So it really was the gift of, of giving and I really do feel that behind your work so thank you thank you so yeah I was going to say I was just going to make the point at the beginning of the book another thing it says is that um there was a a huge long study that's still ongoing that's been going on for 75 years looking at what predicts happiness and and what really makes people happy and at the moment what they're finding is the number one thing is the quality of our personal relationships is the biggest predictor of happiness. Hmm. Um, Yeah, which may be surprising to some people. It wasn't really that surprising to me. Hmm. So that means that you're working in the field that directly directly can help people achieve what's going to make them the most happy. Hopefully, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I loved that in the book as well. You're like, sometimes these things are harder to practice than they sound. <laughs> I believe I yes. believe it was at the end of the book when you had you were relating to your own relationship and, and how you'd come across some things that you didn't even know or realize that you had been doing and that it was a practice to put them into place, how you continually had to put effort into it. Yeah, you do. Uh, but with all these things, um, it's most of the effort is getting into good habits in the first place when we're in bad habits it takes a long a lot of effort and a lot of energy to change those bad habits but most of the effort and energy needs to go in at the beginning Mm -hmm. um, to change the habits and then it becomes easier with practice you still have to remind yourself but most behaviors become easier with practice because basically our brain rewind itself and builds those cortical connections and makes everything make it easier for us it's like practicing the piano or Mm -hmm. learning to swim Mm -hmm. anything that we learn it starts off and you have to put a lot of effort in at the beginning and then over time it becomes second nature to you to do these things but you do have to put a lot of work in at the beginning but it's worth it yeah to gain you know, those quality of connections and relationships to lead to an ultimately more happy life. Yeah. And also uh, 
more happy atmosphere in the home and uh, ultimately ideally a loving um, culture in the home and in the family and then that will spill out to the nations and eventually the world hopefully yeah that would be great <laughs> so <laughs> we're a long way from there at the moment but that would be great but i was even thinking if if we how many homes this could change with your book entering their home and even if just one one of the parents read it and start implementing these solution-based programs and their children are observing solution-based programs rather than the next decade of fighting that that is huge huge because they will approach their relationships from a solution-based place as well yeah that would be wonderful wouldn't it that would be wonderful if that could happen if we could improve the relationships that people have it does feel like a hugely important thing to do and to try to do I wish I lived closer because I would hire you as my therapist because I could listen to you talk <laughs> all day long, all day long. That beautiful, Thank soft you. voice. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. This, your book is launching shortly, correct? So this must be, uh, uh, it's a big deal for you. Um, yeah, it's what, launching on sun, Sunday, the 1st of December. Yeah, so that's going to be a busy week for you. Yeah, it certainly is. certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, how, how can people find your work? Um, well, the name of the book is um, Five Steps to Love That Lasts. And it's, it will be widely available. Um, so you could put that into your search engine and it should come up. And my name is Anne-Marie Taylor. The subtitle is How to Protect and Repair Your Relationship. And it feels to me like this is, this is a really almost like just a basic instruction manual for what, what you need to do to keep your relationship uh, um, on track. Yeah, and that's what it aims to be. It aims to be simple, easy to understand, uh, um, a simple guide to the fundamentals that everybody should know. I think they should hand it out when you buy your marriage certificate. <laughs> <laughs> Read this before you walk down the aisle, and then <laughs> I yeah. Should, yeah, it was a beautiful read. Thank you very much, and I certainly hope that this helps to disseminate this knowledge because I do really believe that it could really help a lot of people if we could get that message out there about how important this little stuff is I agree with you 100% so many blessings spread this forward (laughs) (laughs) and to you thank you both thank you yeah thanks a lot for for talking to to us today great lovely speaking to you both Yes, you too. And all all the very best, Anne-Marie. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your work. It definitely changed some perceptions that I had. So you got you changed my life. There you go. It's not even out yet. (laughs) And don't worry, we will be sharing this. Absolutely. uh, As much as we possibly can. uh, Because I I really feel that this is an important, important for everybody to know about. Yeah. And written very well. So from a beautiful heart. Thank you very much. Honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, well, you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. 
Yes, you too. And you. And you. Okay. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.